Bolt your windows. Lock your doors. Check your closets. Look under your bed. And then, prepare yourself. For it's another episode of Dark Night of the Podcast. Whoa! My God, it's been forever, forever without Roger. And, and I'm just starting to think that him coming back to me is against all odds. And it's a chance I gotta take. But I am I'm thrilled because I've had to have I've I've gotten to have some great guests on this this month. And we're closing out the month with a, a very special guest that I'm super excited to have on particularly to discuss this film that we are going to discuss that I, I promise my little intro has a tie-in to the film we're going to discuss here in a second. But um, I'm going to introduce to you our wonderful co-host for this evening, for this episode, fellow podcaster, Aaron Gilmer. Aaron, welcome. Hi, I am so ready to talk about great value Kelsey Grammer tonight. <laughs> Good God. Oh my God, I have that almost exact note. Yeah, and he cannot be a more unlikable POS, right? Oh my God. But we are here. Uh, well, first of all, I'm glad to have you on because we've we've been, uh, since we started the podcast, we've been kind of social media buddies uh, back and forth. Uh, you, you have really, really been one of our biggest supporters and we truly appreciate that. So, uh, it felt only, only right that with you starting your podcast and whatnot, that we collaborate finally. Now, unfortunately we're not doing it with Roger, but I feel like that will be something we definitely do in the future. I'm so game for that. I, I absolutely love your show. I never miss an episode. I got into it during the pandemic and I remember listening to it like going going in order, you know, and just loving just loving the camaraderie between the two of you and then and then picking up teacher shortage and you know, so it's it's just like a, it's a total fangirl situation. Oh well, like I said, we're, we appreciate it because we started we started the podcast not even thinking that it was to be honest with you that something that that was something that was even going to last. Uh, we're like, let's just do it and see what happens. Uh, a lot of podcasts, you know, you know this. A lot of podcasts start, they have a couple episodes, and you never hear from them again. They don't even have like a farewell episode. It's just like, oh, well, I guess they're done. Um, and we we kind I don't want to say that we went into it thinking that was going to be the case. But never, I, I would imagine that neither one of us thought that we would be at uh, over 100 episodes, three years into it. You know, it, we have a blast doing it. It's something that I look forward to. I don't get to talk to uh, talk about horror movies with a lot of people. So it's uh, really like cathartic to be able to sit down with somebody that I know uh, has the same passion for horror. Uh, and, you know, he's he's off doing great things. I know they just wrapped this past weekend filming Meat. Yes. Which I'm super excited. It looks great. Uh, I cannot wait. But he will be back soon. But for, for our audience that may not be familiar with you, uh, why don't you tell them a little bit about yourself, about your podcast, and kind of what you do, and how, you know, your how you got your love 
of horror, how that came to be. Okay. So I my podcast is called Manic Movie Monday, and we drop episodes every other Monday. And we specialize in cult films, uh, B-movies, and horror films. Uh, and we're kind of the Ted Lasso of B-movie podcasts because we love to find the joy and the celebration um, in films that a lot of people don't normally, honestly, don't normally look twice at, like Grease 2 or the Porky's trilogy or... Um, you know, uh, like, need I go on? But uh, so it's, uh, it started, and it literally started as just this, you know, idea that I had that was rattling around in my brain. And then I, uh, I got a really awesome co host named Hillary, who I've known for a long time. And she just kind of like, pushed it into the stratosphere like with the way that we interact and and she's the she's the comedy and i'm the you know factoids (laughs) like all the all the research i do and everything but she's she's amazing and everyone in the podcasting world has been so supportive including you guys as well so well yeah no it's a great show and yeah you guys have covered some such obscure but but great films so you know we try to do the same thing we try to majority of the time cover stuff that doesn't get covered in a lot of other horror podcasts. I'm not saying we haven't covered stuff like scream. We certainly have. Uh, But we, we do try to every once in a while plot a title that doesn't get talked about a lot. And I feel like, you know, when I, when I invited you on and I gave you, you know, I said, you get to pick, give me, give me about three films that you would love to discuss. This one was like the only one you mentioned. You're like, this is the one. I have to discuss, and it is one that you, that falls right into what we're talking about. It, it does not get discussed a lot. You don't see this brought up in, in any conversations about standout eighty slasher films. No, and it's kind of it's kind of puzzling why because it has all the elements that make it sort of a great, you know, what we would consider a great slasher film. There are some issues I have with it that I'll get to as we get into the film, but. We're we're discussing. Um, well, you you chose the film, so why don't you tell the audience what film we're discussing and why you chose this specific film of of all the films? Because I told you you could choose anything you want. <laughs> why, why this particular film? Of all the films I chose, I chose Night School uh, because it is one of those sort of under the radar slasher movies, uh, you know, and it's not. It's it doesn't fall into the Canadian tax shelter films. Uh, it was shot in Boston and. It really is, it has like, it has some giallo elements to it. Um, you know, the music's by Brad Fidel, who did Terminator. Uh, it really has a lot of things about it that I absolutely adore. And there's also some things about it that are very, you know, Starsky and Hutch, I should say. But that it's okay. And I'll, and honestly, watching this movie as a 43-year-old woman who has, you know, been through some stuff, uh, I can honestly say that I totally relate to this female character. <laughs> okay. And this is why I, I I am so glad that you're on for this particular film, because I would, I admit I have not seen this film probably in 30 years. Uh, and I, I don't even know if I actually ever saw the whole film. I remember like the opening scene. Uh, and then I remember like a couple random scenes, but I, I had not seen this film forever. And so wa- sitting down and watching it, I was like, okay, this is the perfect film to have 
you on for because we we have guests, but we. we 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 sometimes we lack the female voice. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. <laughs> we, no, no, but we don't have a lot of female like this. All our guests previously this month have been male. Uh, we've had a few female guests on. This film is like the perfect one to have the female perspective on, because the killer's motivation when it's revealed, and I think that that could really lend itself to a kind of a, a great discussion because on one hand. Like you said, as a female, you're like, yeah, 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 that's that's great. <laughs> but then on the other hand, I've, I personally, as a male, kind of find the her logic. I just ruined it. But if you come on, if you're listening to this, you watch the movie. I mean, we're going to spoil it, right? Her logic is kind of flawed for me in terms of she's killing. Why don't you kill that fucking lousy fucking boyfriend of yours that's fucking everything under the sun instead of? <laughs> to going after especially that poor innocent waitress what did that broad do that waitress i felt bad carol <laughs> carol in the bad wig i felt very bad for carol in the bad wig yes. i really did carol did not do a darn thing to deserve that no she really did not other than say you know that that teacher is that that professor's hot or whatever it was she said she didn't even really say that she's not exactly like being overtly flirtatious no she said something about oh i wouldn't kick him out of bed kick him out of bed for eating yeah. crackers yeah that kind of thing yeah, but yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. but this school or uh, this film is night school and yeah very heavy with the jalo-esque aspects a very i would say a very memorable opening scene again it is the one scene that i did remember and i did not remember that it was like the opening scene either so but it, it goes right into the action and just like any good slasher film we'll get right into it if you're ready it has sort of a, a memorable opening scene they could have taken the gore a little bit farther with the scene but um it starts out very absolutely almost like innocent because you have this you have this teacher aide miss baron uh who is just lounging on a merry-go-round with her little classmate um lisa like you do in front of children yeah and you know it's it's she's waiting for her parents to be picked up well lisa's mother comes in and shows up and picks her up and you know basically what ends up happening is miss baron is left on the merry-go-round alone uh, even harry i guess harry one of the workers comes out and he's like oh, are you staying here by yourself and she's like yeah i'll be fine and lo and behold she's she's on the merry-go-round when a motorcycle pulls up which becomes like the prominent ominous figure in this film is this motorcycle and we get a figure that gets off the motorcycle abruptly stops the the merry-go-round and we see for the first time right away the killer's costume uh Mm -hmm. leather black leather black leather gloves and a black uh motorcycle helmet so you can't see the face Right. Yep. Kind of effective. Um, I I feel like wasn't there another film like what was it called? Um, yeah, Welcome to Spring Break. Welcome to Spring Break. Yeah, that used kind of that same get up. I did, did. I do. I did find like there's a lot of similarities in this film with other films that came before and after it. So I I found that very interesting. That even though this film doesn't get talked about a lot, there does seem to be some elements that maybe other filmmakers picked up and carried over. Yeah. And do you do you get that? Absolutely. It seems like. There's a lot of there's a lot of things in this movie that I see in other films. Like obviously, this movie is kind of two films, really, because it's like a procedural, right? It's a police procedural, and then it's a tale of a woman scorned, in a lot of ways. Uh, also, it is really a tale of just a total 
asshole professor and uh, having had a stepfather who was a professor, as in an ex-stepfather who was a professor, I can honestly tell you this is a very accurate portrayal. I know. We had mentioned, uh, I mean, it happens. It happens way more than you think. And so when you're watching this film, you can't really... I don't find anything about it to be necessarily unrealistic at all because we had this conversation. Um, I can't remember a couple episodes ago uh, where a teacher was. Uh, there was a movie we were watching. Oh, it was with um, it was with Chris Jenner on the graduation day episode. Yes. Yeah, in that film, Linnea Quigley seduces her teacher, and he very gleefully sleeps with her. Oh God. I know, and I had mentioned the fact that I, I've, I'm in education. I've been in public education for 20 years, and I know this happens for a fact. And it happens on college campuses. And to the fact that like it becomes such prominent rumor that people are just like, oh, yeah, he's whatever. It's no big deal. And that's kind of how it's played out in this movie. Everyone knows this professor is sleeping with all of the students. Everybody. Yeah. But nobody really does anything until these girls start getting murdered and, and, and sort of focus is put on this particular school because of it. Right. Which is kind of gross if you think about it, because it's like, oh, it, it takes it takes literally the murder of these women for them to take notice that he's just can't keep his dick in his pants. And can we mention he's not the only predator at this school? Oh, buddy. <laughs> right. Like there's a whole scene where where the where the the prince, whatever she is, the the dean, the dean says, you know, you know, this isn't this isn't your personal stomping ground or whatever and i'm like no it's yours <laughs> oh yeah. that came out of left field to for me Ugh. watching this i'm like oh are you fucking i was like wait we'll get there we'll get there because i was like what the <laughs> hell is going on here and then i was like oh shit uh-huh <laughs> these lesbians are going at it in i this know film. when she starts to pet her like she's just sort of like petting her hair and petting her shoulder i was like oh really because that's not that wasn't that's not necessarily prevalent in 1981 ish. No, it, right? no, I ha no, not no. at all. Mm -mm. No, not lesbians. No, I mean, no, not to what you not to what you see in this film. Like right. they 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 almost they almost go there with this film, and I was pretty surprised. But back to poor Miss Barron. She's on this merry-go-round. The killer starts to spin it really fast. Giving us like a really cool, like I really wish, because it's the opening death scene, I really wish they would have gone there with, like I said, the gore or the... the with the head. Yeah. With the head being cut off. It's yeah. it's such a cool like setup, like spinning this merry-go-round faster, faster and faster and faster so that you know that when you stick the knife out as it's going super fast, it's going to cut the head off. That's ideally what happens in this film, or that's what happens, is she gets her head cut off because the killer's spinning the mill around, around so fast and sticks out this really cool-looking knife. I gotta say, I love this knife. It's it's unique-looking. It it's kind of curved. It's almost like a sickle, sort of. Yep, and I have the name of that knife. Hold on a second, because this was very important. <laughs> <laughs> because my boyfriend picked the name of the knife out. He was like, oh, that's a blah. And I went, what? I was like, how did you know that, smart man that I'm dating? Um, ah, a kukri. K-U-K-R-I. A, yep, a kukri. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. I've heard of that, actually. Well, it looks it looks pretty gnarly on screen, and apparently it's sharp as fuck. Uh, because it takes these heads <laughs> clean off. 
Um, so yeah, poor Miss Baron is, is dispatched, decapitated on the merry-go-round. On the playground, which you think about it, kids are coming to school the next day. We're coming to that daycare the next day. They're going to find this bra- this decapitated broad on the merry-go-round. How traumatizing. Head in a Head in a bucket. Head in a bucket. Head in a bucket. Okay, so that's the opening scene. Love it. Uh, super creative. Like I said, I just wish they would have gone there. I love like opening scenes that just do something, uh, you know, that, that you never think of as necessarily being terrifying until you see it actually happen. And I think this is one of them. Merry-go-rounds. You never think of a merry-go-round as being ominous, but fuck, if somebody has a machete and they start spinning you around and want to hack you to death, you're going to you're gonna do some damage. It's sort of like, it's sort of like the opening scene of... Um, Edge of the Axe in the car wash. Oh, and yes, in the car wash. Yeah. I yeah. every time wow. I go through a freaking car wash now, I'm like, uh. <laughs> yeah. And now we cut to, um, and like you said, this film is very much two different films in one. And we've seen several films like this that follow like a police procedural at the same time trying to solve these these ghastly murders. Usually, it bothers me. This one, I don't necessarily get bored with the police procedural stuff. Um, I, I actually find it quite interesting only because the the lead, Detective Austin, is quite charming and quite um, a likable character. And he basically has the one mission throughout the film, and it's to find out who is doing this. And he has he kind of laser focuses in on his suspect early on, but also is sort of swayed to look at other suspects by his partner, Taj. But I never really find that the the police procedural stuff drags out too long as it does in some other films. No, no, it really doesn't. It, it has like I, I joked that it has like a very Starsky and Hutch quality to it uh, because they are very goofy. You know, they they kind of finish each other's sentences and they're, you know, they're they're up to all kinds of tomfoolery in the police car, um, especially Taj. Uh, <laughs> but but it doesn't I don't believe that it takes away from the slasher element of it. No. Yeah. Their their interactions and camaraderie is really fun to watch. They have they, you can tell they have inside jokes that they like to play on each other. And then even the final scene of the movie is like, what the fuck? What a what a weird yeah. way to end the movie, but it makes sense considering everything that we've seen from these two and the you know from the rest of the film. So we cut to uh, who ends up being Detective Judd Austin, played by Lawrence Mann, very handsome, very just dapper looking man, mm-hmm. and he's with his. I'm assuming this is his wife. Uh, they he makes a joke about oh you make someone a good wife someday. And she's like oh you tease, but I don't I don't know if they're supposed to be married. We never see this broad again. It's true. She she she's a one and done. She's Stevie is her name. Stevie. Stevie. But their whole little interaction is like sexual innuendos. They he just wants to fuck her apparently, and she's like, "Oh, you always want to do that." Well, there's plenty of time for that later. Yeah, the the set of their house looks like um, an Emmanuel movie. It does. It's so just <laughs> but they very well. Uh, but they, they were out getting groceries apparently, breakfast cereal because they forgot to get it the night before. But they. They get home. We find out through a little bit of dialogue that he uh, that they're in Boston, and he's an alumni of Harvard, and they're trying to figure out like what to do. And she's like, "Well, you don't want to do any of your alumni stuff." And he's like, "No, not really. I'm just kind of, I just like my life the way it is." And you know, what are we going to do today? And so as they're discussing options, nothing sounds intriguing. They're like, "Oh, there's some Chinese art thing." And she's like, "No, that sounds." Well, he's like, okay, fine. Let's drive to the Cape and have lunch. And she's like, oh, yes, it'll be so fun. Well, phone rings. Phone rings. 
and it is Taj, and he is called into work. She is not happy at all about this. She even tells him his job stinks. I'm like, honey, his job is probably paying for everything that you're touching right now. That lavish lifestyle that you're that you're enjoying right now is what is is what's paying for basically the nights and weekends that you have to give up. But we don't have to worry about her because like I said she's never seen again. <laughs> no, she's like she's like she's a completely disposable character. She's introduced and then we never see or hear from her again. You never even get so much as a like he calls her from a crime scene or like hey honey just letting you know I'm going to be late. Like no. Nope. It often had me wonder if she was supposed to be a bigger part of the film. Ah, uh, yeah. And something happened because yeah, why introduce this character and give her, you know, I don't know. I don't want to say a background, but like just start to flesh her out. And like this movie, one thing this movie really, really does well, or I wouldn't say does well, but it does, you know, to an extent that you're like, okay, you're overwhelmed is it gives you red herrings, lots of red herrings. Yep. Yeah. And I feel like, okay, well, if they would have played their cards right, they could have introduced this broad later in the film and maybe she became a red herring, but no, we don't ever see her again. Nope. What does happen is he goes to the scene, the crime scene, and um, we we learn from Taj the conversation. We meet Taj, his partner, and the conversation that they have reveals that this is the second killing in a week. In a week. In a week. And the first one, the head was apparently found in a duck pond. Duck pond. Oh, my gosh. I know. I know. I kind of would have wanted to see that. I know. I thought I was thinking the same thing. Why not? Why didn't we get to see that? Why open? I mean, the merry-go-round is a great kill, but I yeah. can't. I, I, I want to see a head floating in a duck pond. Like it's not my favorite. It's not my favorite kill in this movie, but it's definitely up there. No, and you know the opening, though it leaves a lot to be desired in terms of like gore and violence. I think the film makes up for that later on with a couple of these scenes that I, like I said, I was sort of surprised at how brutal it gets. Because one thing, when people, what I have heard. And I have heard people discuss this film, just not, it just doesn't get brought up a lot, but I've have heard it discussed. One thing I hear them talk about is like, oh, well, it's, it's kind of a slasher that lacks gore. Uh, yeah. But you know what? So is, um, too scared to scream. And, and I love that. I, it's, it's a weird kind of like, it's got, obviously it's got problematic elements to it, but like, I love the, the idea of a killer hiding in the closet that fucked up. Yeah. Right. Oh Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but this one, I, I think, yeah, well, I think what it lacks in gore definitely makes up in, in some very brutal scenes. Yeah, so second killing, they uh, Austin wants to know where the rest of her is because, of course, her body's laying on the merry-go-round, but where's the rest of her? So the, Taj takes him over and shows him that her head is in a bucket of water. Bucket. just a, It's just basically like a bucket and then like blonde hair. <laughs> Yeah, you never really see the decapitated heads. I mean, you'll see like the back, you'll see like backs of them or just like hair, but you never actually see for a film about a headhunter, like someone decapitating people, you never actually see a decapitation in this, which is surprising because it, I mean, it's a fact that could be done. Um, you know, I mean, Friday the 13th came out around the same time. They did a really effective uh, decapitation. But this is the the moment we also see that. Detective Austin, or Lieutenant, it's, he's Lieutenant, he's, he's Lieutenant Austin, starts to put together that this girl and the first victim um, also, they attended the same school, Wendell College. Wendell College. They were going to night school. And he also starts to think about the fact that both heads were found in water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it, it's kind of 
it's kind of explained that Austin is more of the intellectual of the two of between him and Taj. Austin is more of a psychological guy, like the why that there's always got to be a why someone does something. People don't just do stuff. Right. Whereas Taj is more of a, like, this is the way that things should be. And this is how I think things should be. And, you know, they're, so they're, they're good foils for each other. Yes. Yes. You got, it's basically like the, the intellectual deep thinker, Harvard graduate versus like the old school police lieutenant, right. That, that really yep. thinks of police work in the old school way, like getting nitty gritty, you know, interviewing whoever you can focusing. On. And so he even makes, Taj even makes several comments about the fact that, oh, you're using that nitty, you're using that hoity-toity Harvard logic on me, right? Don't <laughs> Because because Taj is like, there's no, okay, both heads both heads were found in water. Big deal. What's that? That's, who cares? Right, it's right. just a psychopath chopping He's a psycho, yeah. right? Yeah. So after making the connection that the girls went to this night school, Lieutenant Austin goes to the night school and he meets up with the dean, Miss Griffin. Ah, uh, this character. Uh, you know, talk about a character that does a 180. Bring in some strong, bring in some strong uh, uh, female energy. And by that, I mean masculine female energy to this movie. Like she is. Mm. She is no nonsense. She's no nonsense. She's concerned, though, that this death is going to in- inundate the, the school with, with media. And of course yes. it does, because right away people are showing up wanting to uh, interview her. So she takes the lieutenant to Professor Millet's lecture room. Oh, buddy. And so he goes in. And remember, this is an all-girls school. So I think it's kind of weird to have a male professor at an all-girls school to begin with. You're just inviting issues. Yeah. But, but Yeah. He he's given this lecture. What is this lecture about? Like, what is this about? Birthing? Like, I, I think I think it's birthing, but I also think that it's supposed to be preparing the tribe for the inevitable birth that's going to come, and it's supposed to be like, let's all experience birth at the same time. And let's see what it looks like and or what it feels like. And it's just bananas. But I mean, this is also as it is explained in the film, you know, this is this is Papua New Guinea where this takes place, uh, where this particular, you know, uh, not procedure, but this particular ritual takes place. And they had gone and visited that. So he, this is this is his from his personal stash of film. Well, and he has pictures and, and everything. We're watching a slideshow yeah. of like these naked men rolling through the legs of these w- naked women, pretending that they're fetuses coming out of the women. Uh, and, That's happening. And he says this, and it stuck with me when you think about the motive, the, the film itself. He says, "Scenes like this." is a link to man's primitive past. Modern man only has to take a few short steps to end up in the primeval forest of his ancestors. So he's basically saying, you know, we are only, you know, modern man is only so far removed from these type of rituals. It's, it doesn't, it won't take much, it wouldn't take much for modern man to be able to fall back into these, what we would think, primeval rituals. And it kind of definitely plays into the motivation and the, the killing method in this film, which I found, found was quite cle- clever. I think the script is pretty clever for being on the surface an 80 slasher film. 
Absolutely. And it's one of the, that's one of the reasons I chose it is because I like the fact that there's, you know, this feminine hair, you know, heroine slash uh, villain, you know, because there wasn't a lot of female villains uh, in film. I mean, like the only other one I can really think of is Curtains, you know, which I love and is much maligned uh, by the horror community. Uh, But, but I really enjoy, I, I really enjoy the fact that it's, you know, that, that, that is the big reveal is that it's, it's, it's her and, you know, and she's in a lot of ways, primitively protecting what's hers or so she is led to believe she's primitively protecting what's hers. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. And yeah, you're right. There weren't a lot of female uh, antagonists around this. I mean, Mrs. Voorhees, you know, I think curtains came after this film, even though yeah, I think curtains started filming probably around the same time this did, but, it, but, but it was released <laughs> so late. You know, we know that we, we did a whole episode right. on curtains. We, I love curtains. Yeah. Roger loves, I yeah, love Roger curtains. loves curtains. We had a guest on one of the directors of uh, death drop gorgeous was on for that episode. He loves curtains. So it was a curtains, you know, we, we heap praise on deserved praise on curtains. Absolutely. Despite it being wonky because of the two directors, it's still a great, great film. Still a great movie. Um, So Professor uh, Vincent is not very happy that the detective interrupts his lecture. He's like, do you explain yourself? Why are you interrupting my lecture? How dare you? Emily says, well, hey, I'm a lieutenant. I can basically do what I want. (laughs) Exactly. He says that a a couple times during this film, by the way, is that Lieutenant Lieutenant Austin says pretty much he can like walk into any house. Yes. He can interrupt any lecture. (laughs) Problematic, but I like him. So, you know, but he's there to question the professor about Anne. And right away, the professor's like, oh, I barely knew her. But here's Kim, this bumbling idiot. (laughs) <laughs> that oh this girl oh poor <sighs> kim oh kim great hair though i have to say i have to say great hair she has fabulous hair like a barbie doll like she has like this very long blonde hair but um yeah she she seems like she's not really playing with a full deck. <laughs> no like, no well he's like kim was her best friend right kim and kim's like yeah i guess uh so he he basically tells the, the lieutenant to interview Kim, and the professor does some weird thing where he goes over to Kim and he's like, "I bet you she feels terrible, don't you?" And he's like rubbing her and stuff. And even oh, the lieutenant God. notices this, and at the same time, his assistant Eleanor Aji walks in, and she sees this, and she's like, "Ah." I got your notes tapped up. Do you want to come and look at them or not? And we got to stop and acknowledge right now, it's fucking Rachel Ward. Rachel Ward from Against All Odds. <laughs> Take a look at me now. Yeah. She's amazing. She's amazing. She's fantastic. Okay, so her presence in this film elevates it. Thank you. I was literally just going to say the word elevates it. Yes, quite a bit. I feel like in the, you know, if you would have cast anybody else, I don't know if this film would have maybe worked as well. She brings a class to the film with her. She's stunning. Let's just acknowledge that. Her her English accent, her British accent. Uh, but but not only that, but she, she brings like, 
She's a great actress. I mean, that's why she's been in The Thornbirds and Against All Odds. And I don't know, did you ever see that made for was that a made for TV movie called Fortress? Did you ever see that where she was a teacher and they were she was on that bus with those kids and they were hijacked by those men in the animal masks? No, oh. but that sounds fantastic. Yes. Seriously, look it up. Fortress, it's called. Fortress. She was oh. great in that. And she wasn't she in um The Final Terror, too. With yep, da- she's with, in the Final Terror. So she has kind of a horror pedigree. Uh, but she's a great actress and she brings like a lot of vulnerability to this role where like it would be really easy for us, the viewer, to be like, you stupid fucking broad. Like, what is your mm-hmm. fascination with this guy? Do Can't you – her vulnerability that she's able to portray I think makes you feel sympathy for her. You know, she she is madly in love with this professor for some reason. I don't get it. I mean, maybe he's bringing the good dick. I That's the only thing I could possibly think of because he's not, like I said, he's great value Kelsey Grammer. He is n- not the most attractive fellow, even by 80s standards. He's not like, you know, not classically handsome, but no, he's just not an attractive dude. Not to mention he's super egocentric and, you know, is, is just kind of kind of douchey. You know, but yeah, she believes in what he's doing. She believes in his research. She obviously types all of his notes up for him. So she she's very heavily involved in his research. There are pictures of her on these trips to Papua New Guinea. So she's in love with him. I mean, she's really, truly 100 percent in love with him. And and I think it just breaks her heart to know that she is not enough in her own eyes. She is not enough for him and it's never going to be enough. Well, and she tells him that later in the film. And there's but there's also all these little moments where he says things that are like gaslighting her that I'm like, oh, you fucking uh, asshole. But yeah, I don't get this guy. But apparently, yeah, he all the girls are sleeping with him. Like he has slept with every fucking girl at this girl's school. Like they're all just throwing themselves at him. I just feel like you see I just feel like maybe they they the casting like if they had just picked somebody who was just a skosh more attractive just just a little like a very tiny like maybe like a Christopher McDonald or or uh or even you know god forbid Kevin Spacey but like you know just somebody who had some tiny eensy bit of sex appeal that could recite those facts those archaeological facts and and get girls to be like, ooh, like, it's so fascinating. You know what I mean? Like, you know, Dennis Quaid, you know, whatever. But like, but having him do that, it's like, okay, so you're going to make him unattractive and unlikable? Luckily, though, you know, he, I feel like, yes, he's unattractive. Yes, he's unlikable. But I, I don't really much focus on him for this film. There's so much other stuff going on. Like I said, I really like Lieutenant uh, Austin. Uh, I like the stuff with him. And then most of the stuff is really focused on the Eleanor character, Rachel Ward, who is always a joy to watch. So luckily he doesn't like take away from the enjoyment I get from watching the film. I think you're supposed to dislike him, right? It's just, it's just puzzling why all these girls are like throwing themselves. Right. And then he makes, Oh, do you hear that comment? He makes uh, later in the film when, when the, uh, when the Lieutenant comes back to question him about if he sleeps with the students and he's like, Oh no, I would never do such a thing. They barely reached puberty. I'm like, but you are doing it. And now you're, you're, bra- you're basically bragging that you're fucking these girls that barely reached puberty. Like, Oh, he's like, 
most of them are just out of high school. I'm like, ah, yeah. I mean, he's, you know, he's, a, he's garbage. He's a garbage human. But yeah. So yeah, the professor goes away with uh, Eleanor to, to look at the notes and the professors or the lieutenants left there with Kim and basically asks him, how well did you know, Anne? And she's like, well, she was a friend. And he asks her, well, was she seeing anybody? Did she have a boyfriend? And Kim says, yes, she did have a boyfriend, but she was very secretive about it. She wouldn't tell me who it was. And I think it's because he was either older or was somebody we both knew or he was married. Well, bingo, we know who it fucking is right there. Right. Exactly. It's like he was older and and married. Like, what? He gets what he needs from Kim. And as he's leaving, the professor tells Lieutenant, he's like, I think you're dealing with a psycho killer who just strikes at random and it'll be hard to catch him. And the lieutenant's response is, no, we'll find him very confidently and just walks out. <laughs> That's great. Did you recognize him from anything? The, which one? The Austin, Lieutenant Austin. Lieutenant Austin. No, I, I did not. I did not. I only found out that I knew him from one thing, and that's that he is the um, unfortunate man that ends up with Victoria Tennant's character in uh, Flowers in the Attic. Oh, yes. Okay. I can see that now, now that you mention it. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Where she's like, I don't have children. What is this nonsense? And he's like, is this true? Where did you come from, children? Yeah. That's him. I do know that the professor, he, uh, Professor Millet, was in Firestarter. Yes, he was in Firestarter. He's the one that shows up at the farm, you know, to get little Charlie when she sets him on fire. I do know that um, only because his IMDb, that's his like IMDb picture. <laughs> I think he's pr- prouder of that than he is of this, this yes. even though he was in Firestarter for like five right, minutes. Right. But we get this restaurant scene where Eleanor. Stopped at this rest. What's it called? Lamp post? Lamp 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 post. Lamp post restaurant. Lamp light. Lamp light. Lamp light. Yes. And she goes there for coffee. And we get this delightful waitress, Carol. I love Carol. Carol is just like, uh, you know, yeah, she's a flirt. Yeah, she's she just tells it how it is. You know, she she even asks, you know, Eleanor goes goes to get coffee and and, uh, Carol comes up to her table and it's like, oh, you're in that Professor Millet's class, aren't you? And Eleanor's like, yeah, why? She's like, is it true? And Eleanor says, is what true? Does he sleep with all of his students? Oh. <laughs> and yeah, Eleanor's like, well, I wouldn't know. And you could tell she gets all like quiet and despondent then. Oh. In the meantime, there is this creepy dishwasher. Who we find out his name is Gary. He is, <laughs> I mean, okay. This poor bastard. Because, okay, here's the thing. And now you know this because in the 80s and in the 70s, there was this trope of introducing these, like, honestly, sort of on the surface to be these sort of special needs male characters that, you know, clearly uh, were the the Lennies, uh, if you will. You know, the the Frankenstein's monster um, of of the story. Except that this movie... (laughs) takes him into a totally different direction that they didn't really need to do. I mean, it goes, it, it goes zero to angel very quick, very quickly. Um, but it, it makes him, they make him into just this, like, you know, not, not just special needs, but like special needs and, you know, ex, you know, exposing themselves and 
porn addict, you name it. You know, I mean, it's like, oh, red herring, red herring, red herring, red herring, red herring. They they literally hammer red herring on this guy's forehead. I mean, he oh he is creepy. He's he goes up to her table. And he's like almost sniffing her. And she, I mean, it's it's so obscene how far they take this character. And just like, and you know, we also know. I would imagine even around this time, you would have to know that this is a red herring and this guy is not the killer. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, so why push it so far to make the, to to try to get the audience to think that it's the killer when this guy is not riding a fucking motorcycle? Let's be clear; he can barely walk straight. He's he's yeah. Once you go to this dude's house, you're like, oh come on. But yeah, so he's like staring at her and like sniffing her, and like the the cook, the owner Gus is like, get back here and clean these dishes, you idiot. I mean, they're mean to him, but I mean, yeah. can you blame him? Oh, yeah. Good lord. So. <laughs> This is when Carol comes back to the table and she was just serving a, a table of um, uh, girls and she comes back to Eleanor's table and she's like, all these horny co-eds, all they talk about is sex. And, you know, I can't say that I would blame that professor. You know, a good looking guy like him having all those young girls around, I don't blame him. And she, this is when she says, I wouldn't kick him out of bed. Yep. And uh, you just signed your death warrant there, Carol. Carol on your blonde wig. In that poor blonde wig. Oh, man. So Eleanor leaves, and Carol is even like, are you going to walk by yourself after what happened? And she's like, I'll be fine. So she walks home. And, of course, who follows her? Creepy McCreeperson. I mean, this scene goes on and on. Oh, it's a very long scene. I mean, I like the fact that they... It, it Obviously, seeing as how this is the third time I've seen this movie... Uh, I, and I knew who the killer was, so I was not worried for her well-being. Uh, but they they do this very, you know, gaining on her and, and, you know, she drops her keys and she's trying, you know, they do everything they can to build that suspense. Oh, right? and it's, it's, it's effective. Let me, I mean, I'm not saying it's not effective. It's just, it's just long. Long. Uh, <laughs> it's a very, like, Jalo-esque type stalking sequence. Yes. Though, because, she, I mean, the street is pitch black. He's walking along the sidewalk. She's she's ahead of him, and every time she stops to turn around, he ducks into the, a crevice uh, mm-hmm. until she finally does see him. And yeah, she she there's a dog bark jump scare that got me. It scared the shit yep. out of me. <laughs> I'm yep. like, fuck! I wasn't expecting that jump scares in 1981. Hello, um, more effective than a lot of jump scares today. But yeah, she's she starts to run from him. She even trips and falls. It looks painful. Yeah, and she's wearing she's wearing she's not she ain't wearing sneakers. You know what I mean? Very it's very giallo because it's very focused on the legs. You know, it's very focused on the woman's legs, right? Yeah. So when she finally gets to her apartment slash house slash brownstone, you're you're you know, oh thank God she got in, you know. But then she tries to get in with the keys and she can't find the right key and the, Gary's like approaching and she finally gets in and locks the door just in time. And you know she's terrified which i can't blame her but yeah she's really concerned looking out the windows and stuff and once she realizes that he's not there anymore she slowly starts to get undressed that's right because you know when i'm worried that there's somebody outside my house uh the first thing i do is take a shower well i mean we get to see you know i mean they it's a nude scene she's nude you see her boobs you see her butt you see everything yeah so she gets into the shower and as she gets in the shower at the same time someone's trying to open the door but luckily, she chain locked it. That's right. So they're trying to get through and through the chain. And just did you notice, though, with this shower, that shower is so strong and loud that I swear to God, that Foley artist had to have gone to Niagara Falls 
It's loud. Well, I think it's because it's, yeah, because the person starts ringing this doorbell maniacally, just and if she barely can hear it. Like, it's like, oh, she acts like she can't hear. She she thinks she hears something. She shuts the water off for a moment uh, and listens, but doesn't hear anything and turns the shower back on. And yeah, it's full blasting. Uh, it's very psycho-esque. The, 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 the shower head is the big round shower head, like you saw in Psycho. There's even the whole replicated Mrs. Bates coming into the bathroom and you're seeing the silhouette through the shower curtain. You get that here because someone, as she's in the shower, as Eleanor's in the shower, someone opens the bathroom door and you see the figure approaching the shower curtain. It's very psycho-esque until they rip the shower curtain open. And who is it? It's Dickhead Vince. Professor Vincent Millet. And we find out, I mean... We mentioned this earlier, but we find out this is the moment you find out that these two are an item. Absolutely. They're cohabitating. They are living together, even though he's fucking all these students. Right. Where does he find the time and the space? His office, I guess. Does he have an office? I guess. Right. I was going to say either his office or does he go to their house? Is that, I mean, well, they're in, in I'm assuming they're maybe they're man. in dorm rooms. I don't know. He has easy access. Maybe you can just go from one room to the other. I don't know. <laughs> a whole line of girls waiting. There you go. But she screams and everything. And she's like, Oh, you scared the shit out of me. I thought you were going to be home till later. And he's like, Aren't you happy to see me? And then it cuts to the weirdest scene I've seen in my entire life. What is this? Oh, God. Okay. I, I literally wrote in my notes love paints. And just and it just left it there. <laughs> we think after he tells her, "Aren't you glad to see me?" We cut to like a really cool shot of like red red water going down the shower drain. Again, psycho hitting us a little bit with a psycho uh, reference. But then they're in the shower together, and he is—is is this jelly? What the fuck is he wiping on her? It's it's um I think I think it's red clay. Oh well, they're eating it. <laughs> Like the yeah, I don't I don't know if it's like red clay or if it's just like love paints that have some kind of um flavor to them. Like when people I don't know who these fuckers are, but like people uh you know you have the 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 naked painting party and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, whatever. Like weird straight people. Anyway, <laughs> um, but yes, they are love paints, and yes, he proceeds to draw on her boobs and her butt. And her body with these, uh, with, with what looks like red clay, um, uh, which I mean, I hope not. But uh, and then because so. yeah, then they start kissing. Like it's all over their kissing. faces. It's weird. It's, it's weird. Yeah, it's very strange. But from that scene, we get the aquarium. My favorite. It's a good one. It's a good one. Um, yeah. This is a really good setup for a death scene. And we we see that someone is in a scuba diving outfit in this giant aquarium. It's beautiful. It's a stunning aquarium. Beautiful. Tur- giant turtles, everything. Yeah. I wrote, look at all those fucking sea turtles, bro. Like, it was just beautiful. This would be a great job to have. She gets to go down and feed these sea turtles and, and, and fish. And there's all these people watching in awe. And we do catch a glimpse of the helmeted killer, like, peeking around the door watching. And as this person finishes the feeding, she gets out of the aquarium and, and dresses. And we see that it is Kim. It's Kim, the one that, you know, talked to the lieutenant earlier about Anne dating someone older. You know, she goes into the locker room. She gets out of her scuba gear. And we see that the figure is coming down the stairs. with the. We get this nice shot of the black glove gliding down. 
again, very Jalo-esque. Then all of a sudden we hear the scraping of the knife against the, the cage and the metal banister. So cool. Yeah. And Kim's just like lollygagging. She doesn't know what the hell is going on. She really, she's blissfully unaware of life in general. Yeah, like she hears something and she's like, oh, okay, whatever. And she she turns around and goes into the other room. And this killer was quick. Somehow this killer was able to get into a locker. A locker? I know, because technically the killer has time to just drag its knife drag his knife down you know down the chain link uh, of the of the fence that's inside there and then you know peekaboo he's inside he's inside the locker i know i was like how did that happen that was good because she was in there yeah but he jumps out at her Mm -hmm. yep and basically starts to hack the shit out of her i mean it's pretty violent it doesn't show like this film has an issue with like it'll show like the person get hit with the knife but you never see like a cut or a gash. You see blood. No, it's just blood and and no blood on the knife. And now let me, that was another thing that I pointed, like I thought like when I was watching it was there, even though they're like the knife is coming down and this person is bloody as hell. She has blood on her back, on her front, everywhere. (laughs) There is nothing on that knife. That knife is pristine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love the fact that she gets so fucking bloody. I mean, this woman by the end of this attack is just drenched in blood. I mean, there are scenes of her, fl- uh, you know, flailing against the wall and when she turns, the whole wall is covered in her blood because she was backed yep. up. Really fucking stunning. But I really wish I would have saw some of the cuts. It just doesn't look, it takes away from it because he like hits her. She's wearing clothes. So like he hits her in the chest with this knife and you don't even see like a cut in the clothes. Like it's right. It's like they did not put a lot of effort into the death sequences like okay let me backtrack they put really they have creative setups for the death sequences as far as the makeup and special effects i don't think they maybe they didn't do much there agree with you agree with you on that like uh, the the actual death scenes themselves but the aftermath of the death scenes or the effects of the death scenes are not there really isn't any (laughs) other than the head in the toilet which is later but that's it but she's bloody. She, I don't know if she's, is this actress being dubbed? Because her, she's like, oh, leave me alone. Oh, Stop. the ADR. Yeah. yeah. Her, her, it's almost sound, it almost, she looks like it's like they're Italian dubbing all of a sudden for some reason. She's like, go, go away. I'm like, you're getting the shit hacked out of you. And all you can say is go away. Go get, away. Get away from me. Well, basically he gets her on the floor and hacks her head off. And we immediately cut to this poor old woman screaming as we see the head get thrown into the aquarium. Oh, so great. Float down to the hits. Did you see it hit the turtle? It hits that turtle. Yes, it hits the turtle. And then the turtle like chomps at it, which is my favorite part of the whole movie. Yeah. This turtle's (laughs) like, what the fuck is this? I was like, oh, nom, 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 nom. But we get it. We get this cool scene. I mean, a whole elaborate, really, really cool. I mean, minus. The lack of makeup effects. This death is pretty yeah. brutal. I mean, yeah. hacking the shit out of her. I mean, she's a bloody mess by the end of it. And then, yeah, the image of that head just floating down to the bottom of that giant, beautiful aquarium is stunning. Mm-hmm. Very cool death scene. Again, one that's not talked about a lot. And I don't, I mean, I don't know why, because to me, this is like one of the standout like set pieces for a death sequence around that time. People weren't going this elaborate with a death scene. You know, you, you, 
you saw an aquarium, like a head in an aquarium and like, he knows you're alone. But that was like a tiny little fish tank in a living room. It was not this elaborate setup. No. And, and what's interesting is that this movie is conspicuously missing from, you know, Bravo's 100 greatest moments of horror or, you know, uh, slasher stuff, or even I, to be honest with you, I have not seen into darkness in a very long time, at least not all eight hours of it. Uh, but I don't know if it's included in that either. I don't think so. I don't think so. I, I, I've watched all of them and I don't remember it. Like I said, this is a very just not talked about film and I don't know why. I don't know why. Of course, Lieutenant Austin and Taj are on the scene and now Lieutenant Austin is hard hitting making this connection between heads in water. He's like, why is this killer putting these heads in water? And now we have the third victim from the same school. There has to be a connection. And I do like this little moment where they where Taj is like, oh yeah, you're just you're it's just some crazy guy. You're you're thinking way too hard. And he, they get in the car together and Taj is like, hey, I have this sandwich. Do you want to bite? And Lieutenant, yeah, sure, give me a piece. So he gives him a piece and he takes he puts it in his mouth and Taj is like, oh, it's tuna fish. <laughs> and he's like, gags and gives it back to him. It's just cute little things like that that really let you know that these two have yeah. a you know a fun little relationship together. I like I like that. Yeah, they're they're a fun they have a fun camaraderie. Now, Lieutenant Austin feels like it's an appropriate time to go to the professor's house because he's making this connection. So he rings the bell. Eleanor answers and says the professor is busy and he told me he cannot be bothered. And this is when he says, I have a badge. I can bother anybody anytime I want. <laughs> That's right. Let me into your red velour uh castle. Oh, so much red velour. So, and he says, he, as she invites him in, he's like, well, I didn't expect to see you here. She's like, well, I work here. I'm his assistant. And so he, she takes him in to meet the professor and the professor tells, or the lieutenant tells the professor there's been another murder and it's, um, the professor's response is like, oh, and lieutenant's like, oh, you don't seem very surprised. And the professor says, well, no, when a man kills for the sake of killing, why should he stop? Man's the only animal that kills for pleasure. So he's not painting himself to, to, in a very good light here. As <laughs> the lieutenant now tells that uh, the professor, the victim, was Kim Morrison. And that makes two students from his class that have been murdered. And he, point blank, are you having an affair? Were you having an affair with these students? And he's like, no, I make it a strict rule not to get emotionally, he says emotionally involved. He, he doesn't say physically. He says emotionally involved with his students. He's like, most of them are just out of puberty and, and their their hormones are out of control. So who knows what they're what they're saying? Well, Eleanor comes in with coffee and the Senate's like, no thanks, I'm leaving. And he stops and he says, you know what, Professor, I think you're wrong. People always have a reason to kill. Well, he's right <laughs> in this case, right? Um, it's funny when the professor leaves, or I'm sorry, when the lieutenant leaves, the professor calls him an insolent son of a bitch. And Eleanor is like, he's just doing his job. And this is what he's like, don't defend him. And they get in this little verbal spat where she's like, I'm not defending him, but how many times can I hear you are sleeping with all your students? He's like, I don't know. Why would you believe that? And she's like, because when I met you, you were like that. So why would you change? And he says to her, well, then you should have known what you're getting yourself into. <laughs> oh, bro. Oh, 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 oh. So he's just, is he, he's admitting to her. 
Yeah. Basically. Yeah. I mean, that's an old, uh, that's an old granny. That's an old granny tale from my grandmother, which is how you get them is how you're going to, is how you're going to lose them. Yup. Then people don't change. No. Uh, you know, we could get on that whole philosophical topic. I know but, that could be that's its own episode. <laughs> but I don't know how many people, how many friends, and I'm sure you're the same. I don't know how many friends I've told that are in shitty relationships, and I'm like, God. leave. They're not going to change. Like, okay, no. you let them cheat on you once, and then I'm like, leave them. No, I'll give them another. Oh, they cheat on you another time. Well, yeah, because at this point, they know you're going to allow them to do it. Yep. They know. They know they have you wrapped around their finger. And that's the case here. The professor knows that he has Eleanor wrapped around his finger, that she is madly in love with him. Notice in this next scene how many times she tells him and he never says it back to her. I know. I know. It's so hard. That's I think that's why I relate a lot to Eleanor is because I mean, not not at this age, but I think in my twenties, I could absolutely relate to Eleanor. Uh, not to the point of murder, but I can definitely relate to just that loving somebody unconditionally uh, to just the detriment of your own self-esteem, your own self-worth. It's like we teach people how to treat us by the way we treat ourselves, right? So, you know. It's a tale as old as time, you know? I mean, it really is. Oh, boy. Um, but she go, she she leaves and she goes to the restaurant and um, she's moping and Carol sees her and it's like, do you have the blues? If it's because of a man, just forget him. That's right. Carol has the best advice in this movie, by the way. She does. Uh, fortunately, it's advice that a killer doesn't want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> I, again, this film tries to give us a lot of red herrings because at this moment, Vincent shows up and we see him pull up on a motorbike. Uh, he takes off a, a helmet and he comes in and he apologizes. He's like, I'm sorry. And the first thing she says to him is she's pregnant. And then I hate his reaction because this bothered me so much is that's why you've been acting crazy lately. That was part of the gaslighting I mentioned earlier. Motherfucker. Mm -hmm. It's not because you're sleeping with everything under the sun. It's because I'm pregnant and my hormones must be out. Of it. That's right. Ooh. And she just smiles too. She's like, oh. right. but she also tells him I'm not getting an abortion. And he's like, well, I didn't mention anything about an abortion. Uh, and then she goes, you're going to let me have the baby? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Dude. She, oh I guess God. they were trying to channel Jess from Black Christmas, but Jess was a much stronger female character than this one yeah. is, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Jess didn't, Jess didn't want to hear from that. Like, Jess was like, look, I have dreams. I have aspirations. They don't involve your whiny musician ass. <laughs> Unfortunately, Eleanor wants to involve Vincent's whiny infidelities in, in their lives. He's not going to quit fucking these young girl. I mean, come on. But the, okay, and this is, I think this signed Carol's demise, and this pisses me off because this is not, Carol did not flirt with Vincent. She comes over, she asks him, Can I get you anything? And he's like, No, I'm getting ready to leave, even though I hate to say no to a pretty girl. That's it. It's not like, Carol right. was like, oh, yeah, you're hot. Let's go and fuck. She's like, okay, bye. And she right. walks away. And Eleanor's like, do you have to flirt with the waitress? And he says, well, I'm just being nice. And then she's like, can we get married? <laughs> and I love his response. He's like, well, no. He doesn't say – he actually – well, she tells him – she she tells him she loves him numerous times in this conversation, and he keeps being like, "Yeah, that's that's nice, but you know, I'm gonna get going now. Can we get married?" And he's like, "Well, 
Uh, I got to go now. It'll be okay. That's what he says. It, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. I know. He says it'll be okay. I'm like, what do you, what, okay. And he leaves. He and, leaves. And then he leaves. And, but then Carol comes out and just drops some knowledge. She just mic drops all over that cafe. She says, if you believe that bullshit, you'll believe anything. Poor Carol. Oh, I feel like Carol gets the definitely the short end of the stick in this movie. So he goes back to the school to talk to Mrs. Griffin. And he she answers her office door. And he she tells him immediately, this is not a good time, Professor. I don't want to talk right now. Just just wait. So inside her office, she has fucking Kathy. Kathy now, who is revealed that she has been sleeping with Professor Millet. Uh, and fucking Miss Griffin is not having any of it. She's like, that man is despicable. He is not going to be teaching here any longer. Uh, and poor Kathy's distraught. She's like crying. She's like, I thought he really liked me. And, and Miss Griffin's like, didn't you know he's living with Eleanor, his assistant? Okay. This is <laughs> when I first watched this. I watched this three times in the last two days to, you know, to get into my head. When I first saw this, I'm like, is, is what ha- is can this really be happening? A movie from 1981? Are they really going here? Uh, I was like, okay, I want it because Miss Griffin, she sits down next to Kathy, starts petting her hair, and says to her, <laughs> "Kathy, you live alone, don't you?" Kathy says, "Yes," and she says, "Would you like to come spend the night with me tonight?" I'm like, what? What? <laughs> And she's petting her hair. She's like, you're such a sweet, innocent girl. We don't want any right. man to take advantage of you now, do uh-huh. we? <laughs> yeah. Oh. And which is not, like I said, for that time period, that was not a thing. Like, you didn't see that in film. You did not see that represented in cinema, especially in horror cinema. You did not see that that uh that type of relationship so to well speak. you know i i wasn't sure it was going there like i i, I when i first saw it oh, i, was like, I okay. knew it was going there. I, well I, I had a strong <laughs> feeling but i'm like they're really not gonna go there this is kind of weird it does and i like the fact that it does but now we cut to carol Ugh. carol's closing the restaurant and uh the owner gus has to leave because his wife is sick so he leaves her there to close up she's fine with it she's like yeah it's fine go home go to your sick wife well well she is while she's doing her random little cleanup thing, she opens the refrigerator. There's this pot of stew in there. She says, that doesn't belong to me there. So she takes it out and sets it on the stove. Was she going to leave this pot of stew out on the stove overnight? That was my thought, too. I was watching it. And as somebody who used to work in food service, I was like, oh, no, 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 no. Don't leave that pot of stew overnight. <laughs> Where else would it belong? Yeah. It's, I mean, Put it in the fridge. <laughs> that's what I would think. But while she's doing all of her little random closing odds and ends, the killer comes in and shuts off the lights. You know, Carol is like freaking out. Who's there? Who's there? And uh, she gets into the main dining room area. And right away, we see the killer standing there. She sees the killer standing there holding that knife. She does this (gasps) large, you know, sigh, freaked out. She, She does the right thing. She runs to the front door, but she cannot get the door unlocked. It's funny. She's like, that's fucking lock. And the killer starts gets on her and starts hacking the shit out of her. I mean, we get this elaborate like chase through this restaurant where she's fighting. She's throwing chairs. This is lengthy, and she is a she 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 proves to be a very strong opponent. 
There's yeah. some also some cool cinematography. Like yeah. we get shots of like what's going on through like the reflections of like uh, napkin holders on the table. Uh, it's really really cool. There's a moment where she gets she's thrown up against the wall and the killer goes to stab her but hits a mirror instead and it shatters everywhere and it like shatters the the image of the killer. It's really cool. She's able to get out. I mean, by this time this bitch is bleeding. She's bleeding profusely uh. just like him. She gets out of the restaurant. It's like running through this alley full speed ahead. Like she's doing nothing wrong. Like she doesn't make any stupid mistakes. Nope. It just happens that the killer outsmarts her by going out the front and meeting her at the end of the alley. She's actually probably the smartest of all the victims. Uh Uh-huh. She runs into the killer at the end of the alley, and the killer throws her against the wall, and in slow motion, Mm -hmm. hacks her. Slice. You know, and I really wish at this moment, because it's slow motion, but like... She had enough time to like run back the other way if she wanted to, but she just stands there screaming. But the killer hacks her, and then we get the scene of the killer carrying her head up the stairs. So this kill, I'm just gonna this kill bothered me because it's the one that really doesn't make a lot of sense in the scheme of the killer's motivation. Um, because like I said, Carol never really flirts directly with the professor and she's she hasn't slept with him no but i think that the reason that the killer kills her is because she shatters the last of her illusions you know because she's like you know yeah like if you believe that you'll believe anything it's sort of more of like a more of like a revenge i'm gonna get you bitch you don't you don't talk to me that way yeah kind of like that yeah but it's sad i liked carol it does lead to the next morning gus shows up to the restaurant and he finds it in disarray and he has these two like construction worker customers that follow him in and they're being all, we want food. We want coffee. I'm like, give this guy, like he just walked in and saw his restaurant in despair tables overturned and all they're worried about is, can you get me some coffee? What's he just unlocked the door. Right. And they're just like, we're Boston construction workers. We want our damn food. We want it now. But they do tell him, you you go make us some food and we'll clean up. We'll take care of this. Which is nice. Yeah. So he gets the stew out of the refrigerator, puts it on the stove, uh, and proceeds to like get give them beef stew. And as one guy takes a big old bite of it, he's like, God dang it, Gus, don't you wear a hairnet? I got some hair in my stew. Oh, boy. Okay. I really, really like what happens next. And uh-huh. I, I like the slow, like, dread of, like, where is this head going to be? Yes. It's, yes. It's so slow. Absolutely. Painstakingly. We, we, the audience, know this head is somewhere. And it's insinuated that it's going to be in this pot of stew. So what Gus does when the guy tells him there's hair in the stew is he goes back to the kitchen. He takes the pot of stew off of the, the oven and, and starts to pour it into a larger bowl. And I'm talking, this goes on for a long time. This is probably about 45 seconds. And you're looking inside this thing. Like, you're like, can I see a head? Can I see Can I see a hair? Can I see anything? And you don't see anything except the bottom of the pot. It literally lets us get to the bottom of the pot. Before, and we're like, shit, the head's not there. So then he goes and he's like looking for other things. He's up on the cabinets and he some uh, cantaloupes fall on the floor he goes into the refrigerator. He's looking in the freezer. We we're like, where is his fucking head? <laughs> I think he goes into the sink because he's going to wash off this melon he's going to cut off. And then the sink is, is, is stopped. So he has to reach in and unpull, unpull the chain to unplug the sink. 
and the water slowly starts draining down, and it reveals the head is in the sink. Finally, at about five minutes later, we finally see the head. Carol's head. Carol's head is just in there. Oh, and I like his. He's like, "Oh my god! Oh my god! Right. Oh my god!" Cue the cops. The cops show up, <laughs> and they uh, basically Taj is drilling Gus about this dishwasher who he said was tutti frutti. You know that tutti frutti dishwasher you got working there? Uh, the poor special needs dishwasher. <laughs> oh God, what's his name? Gary. Gary. I do question why Gus is so like nonchalant about like giving them he's like oh i think i have his address somewhere i'll get it here in a second yeah here's his address you should go check him out clearly he's a suspect well yeah and they're like they get in his face like god damn it we have four dead bodies we need that address right now pulls it out of his rolodex here you go he does he's like i have it written down somewhere so at the same time carol's body has been found in a dumpster so we do get a shot of like her body laying in the dumpster so i wonder you know killer's pretty strong to lift carol's body up and throw it in a dumpster yeah so they go to the busboy's house and they they just walk in. It's, it's this decrepit looking apartment complex. They walk in. And again, <laughs> I mean, red herring, like pervert, like let's just let's just paint this poor special needs guy. Yeah. His apartment, his apartment looks like a like like the set of the deuce. Like it's just nothing but nudie photos, and 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 here's the funny thing: is it's not even really centerfolds; it's actually just topless, partially nude women. So it's just boobs and heads, boobs and heads. That's all you see. And yeah, they they go they go tearing ass through there and start looking through his stuff. And I think there's, was there a bra? There's a bra. Yeah. Yeah. So Gary comes out of the bathroom as they're in his apartment. He's like, what are you guys doing here? And they're like, "Uh, why haven't you been to work? He's like, is is it against the law not to go to work if I'm sick? You know? And this is when, when Tosh starts to like, he finds his bra, like this bra. And he's like, Ooh, what's, where's this from? Is this a, a hobby of yours? He's like, well, so what if it is? And Tosh starts to like question him about, did you know Carol? When's the last time you saw her? Oh, haven't you been arrested for indecent exposure three times? Three times? Oh, have a raisin. Have a raisin. And oh, have a raisin. He's like the last three of those were some old ladies. He's like, yeah, I bet you those old broads deserved it. Oh God! And then he like that's exactly how he 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 tries to get this confession out of him is by giving him raisins. Well, and you can tell, though, that the lieutenant has realized real quick that this guy is not a killer. This is not him. No. This is not the guy, right? This guy, no. I think the lieutenant knows that the the killer has some sophistication about him, so that this is not him. So lieutenant's like, let's get out of here. The boy's a peeping Tom, not a murderer. But Taj wants to stay. He's like, I've been told good detectives, if they get a lead, they follow up on it. So the lieutenant basically just leaves him there. Right. Taj Taj is just basically like, I'm just gonna sit I'm gonna hang here with the por- with porno Pete and <laughs> we're gonna have a talk and some raisins. Uh, Taj. I, I think this is the point then again where Lieutenant is really starting to think, or he has he I think he's been thinking this, but he's starting to it's really starting to hit him that the professor has to have something to do with this. Like the red herrings that they're giving us aren't the killer. That there's this whole ritualistic head and water thing going on so he goes back to their apartment they're not there he basically breaks in he lets himself in 
and he snoops and he finds books and photographs of headhunting in New Guinea, including uh, the professor and Eleanor proudly in photographs, proudly like displaying skulls, skulls of heads that have been. Yeah. And as he's w- looking at these photos, Eleanor walks in and she asks him, Hey, is the professor? Here? He's like, well, no. Um, and she's like, well, how did you get in here? Do you have a search warrant? She threatens to call the police on him. And she, she says, isn't breaking and entering even illegal for police officers? And his response is, isn't headhunting illegal for anthropologists? <laughs> and, you know, she then launches into this. You can't believe that, you know, the professor studies have something to do with the, these murders. And he's like, oh, that's exactly what I believe. Like, head, we have a headhunter here. Your boyfriend is fascinated with headhunting. Like, what more do you want? She's like, well, these rituals have been around long before our civilized society. And the headhunters truly believe that taking the heads of their enemies, they were taking their life force. And she goes, launches into like all the reasoning behind headhunting. He's like, well, why are the heads being found in water? And her response is because they believe that it was cleansing the evil spirits from their enemies' souls or spirits, you know? And his response is like, this is weird. I'm not an anthropologist, but I can tell you we've had some kooks in Boston, but we've never had headhunters. And I feel like you can tell that she is starting to realize that he is on to them, one of them being the killer. I mean, she thinks it's, he thinks it's the professor. She knows who it really is. And she's starting to get like bothered by it. So she goes to the school and she, to look for the professor and she walks in on Miss Griffin scolding him for having an affair. (laughs) So now she learns that he's sleeping with another student. Your teaching days are over here, sir. Well, and the professor is like, to miss griffin he's like who do you think you are and she's like well i apologize for that but like that you know that doesn't negate the fact that you that my duty is to take an interest in the well-being of our girls and he's like i think there it is yes and he says i think i know what your interest is in the girls and it's not their well-being yeah calling out a lesbian in 1981 come on how progressive how progressive buddy well, that evening, Lieutenant is staking out the professor's place and sees him get on a motorcycle and, and take off. And he starts to follow him, but a garbage truck gets in the way. He's like yelling at the garbage man, get that piece of shit out of the way. And then Taj radios him because Taj is apparently staking out Mrs. Griffin's house for some reason. We have this whole, like like you said, start, starts again hutch stakeout thing going on here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Taj is like, guess who's outside Miss Griffin's place? Gary. So the lieutenant heads to Miss Griffin's house. And of course, Gary is indeed there. And he's going up the staircase to her apartment. And now we cut to Miss Griffin in bed with Kathy. Oh, yeah. Softly from Paris. Oh, they are, ki- they are making out. She's got her hand about her. Uh, she she's got she's basically like peeling off her nightgown when the phone rings. She's like, I do, "Do you like that? Is it okay?" <laughs> I love the fact that we can end Pride Month with some lesbian action. Lesbian action, love it. You know, love we it. haven't really yeah, a lot of a lot of gay podcasts focus on queer horror for the month of June. We did. We started out that way with Death Drop Gorgeous. Yep. 
the last couple of films has maybe a little bit of gay element to them. Not, but this one gives us full lesbian action. So absolutely. So gays, you can't say we're not celebrating during Pride Month because we're going out with some lesbian, hardcore lesbian action. <laughs> and we love it. Yeah, but the phone rings and inter- interrupts their uh, their making out. In the meantime, Gary has been watching this through the window. Yeah, and it's a very patient phone caller because that phone rings all the way down the stairs. Like she, she goes down the stairs <laughs> into the study. Here's the thing. Okay, if I'm getting ready to have sex with somebody that I've wanted to have sex with, I'm not answering my phone. I'm sorry. And she even says, what does she say? She says, oh, it's the school. I have to answer it. She says, it's my office phone. Office. Who it's cares? Office. I'm yeah. not answering it. No. I mean, I'm getting, nope. I'm not going, I'm not leaving this bed. But she does. And it's her demise because there's nobody on the other end when she gets to do, finally gets to answer the phone. Nobody's there. And I love this. I love this though. The framing of this death. And it's what you hear that makes this death disturbing. You don't see anything. Because the camera is outside the door. You watching her go into this office. She picks up the phone. Nobody's there. Suddenly the door closes. And all you hear her say is, oh, my God. Yes. Oh, my God. And the door closes very slowly. Yes. And then you hear it. You hear this bitch being hacked to death. You hear the gurgling. You hear the, I mean, her blood curling screams, her like gurgling as she's being choked. The door does open at one point and she's like gurgling and crawling out, but the killer pulls her back in and you hear the hacking noise. And then there's this cool moment where the knife busts through the door. Fantastic. Like he was trying to, like she's up against the door and he's trying to stab her and the knife comes through the door. Uh, It's, it's great. One of the probably the one of the best death scenes where you don't see anything happen. It's all audio. I would say that I've ever seen because you know when he's cutting her head off. You hear it. You hear the gurgling. You hear the the knife. You hear everything. And, and it, yeah, and then great. the door slowly opens and the killer comes out. And we cut to Kathy, who's fallen asleep quickly somehow and hasn't heard any of this commotion whole thing's gone on downstairs in this house and she literally she's been up she's been up there the whole time yeah it's not like this is a mansion it's like a looks like a normal sized townhouse and she didn't hear any of these blood curling streams or anything but she's fallen asleep but she's woken up to water running (laughs) and she gets up and she sees blood droplets on the floor leading to the toilet and we see that the toilet is all bloody and and much like it's this is right out of curtains too. I mean, this is yeah, very similar. Yeah, totally out of curtains. Yes. Yes. She opens the toilet bowl and Miss Griffin's heads in the toilet bowl. Perfect. Great scene. What happens is is immediately, you know, of course, Kathy screams, backs away, the killer comes out of the bathroom, throws her on the bed, cuts her head off as we assume. We don't we don't see it. We don't see it happen, but that's Gruesome what, we, um, what we gather. Okay, so let me ask you this. Right. The killer killed Miss Griffin. Do you think it's because of because Miss Griffin obviously is a lesbian? She wasn't hitting on the professor. Do you think she was killed because of the she was firing the professor? And so this was like Yes, I think it's because she fired the professor. And I think that that threatens his livelihood, which then threatens her future with to have a family. Makes sense. Her. Yeah, Kathy's killed because she did have an affair with. Yeah, Kathy, exactly, yeah. But I could not get over this old broad has been seducing her female students and then acting like Professor Millette is so terrible for doing the same thing. She's doing the same thing. She's literally same thing. doing the same thing that she's firing the professor for. 
But it was written by a woman, so it's interesting. It was. I did notice it was written by a woman. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so the lieutenant has been outside staking, so he hears the scream, so he runs inside, and he sees Miss Griffin's dead body. And there's this shot of the killer at the top of the stairs, like literally lurching, full body lurches onto the lieutenant, knocking him down the stairs. <laughs> it's a great dummy. Like when she, yeah, when it is, it is a dummy. Yeah, it's a great it's like dummy. the dummy from the beginning of uh, To All Good Night that falls off the yes! balcony. <laughs> oh, great movie. Yeah. Um, so outside, Taj is trying to rearrest Gary when Lieutenant comes on. It's like, you got the wrong guy. <laughs> wrong guy. Taj, take a step back, buddy. It's not him. And the killer, right, right there, rides past him in the motorcycle. And we follow the killer through the streets as they go to the back alley, park the motorcycle, get out. Walk into the back door of their house, take their helmet off to reveal that it is. It's it's uh, Miss Miss Ajayi. <laughs> it's Eleanor. It's fucking Rachel Ward. She went from being against all odds to hacking off heads. That's right. Uh, uh, yeah. So Eleanor has been the killer the whole time. Okay. I like the I like the fact that it's her. Like I think that's a really good. I mm-hmm. uh, you know I was watching the movie the first time. I I actually knew she was the killer. It wasn't like I knew going into this, even though I hadn't seen it or I never – it's been forever. I knew she was the killer just from conversation. Um, but like, oh, I wish the reveal would have been a little grander. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's very matter-of-fact. It's yeah. a very matter-of-fact scene. Like she takes the helmet off. You know that she's the killer. She reveals herself to Vincent. And Vincent's like, Whoa, you know, and she's like, because I'm protecting what's mine. And, you know, and I'm pregnant and you're fucking everybody and I had to teach everybody a lesson and this is what I'm doing and this is, but it, but the, the main reasoning behind it is just like, I'm protecting what's mine. Like it's this, it's this like motherly instinct type situation um, of I, I, this is what's mine and I have to protect it and I have to, you know, everything that violates the sanctity of this really fucked up relationship that I have with this man is a threat and therefore must be taken down. Yeah. Hence, hence the people that have been killed are people that she feels are a threat or, or people that he has slept with. Um, and she doesn't feel like there's anything wrong with that because she is protecting, like you said, it's the sanctity of family. She says, and he even, you know, and then she matter of factly, very casually, she's like, do you want something to eat? You look hungry. (laughs) Yeah. I should feed you. (laughs) So she goes up. Yeah. She goes up to the kitchen and she's making him dinner and he comes in. He's like, you must be insane. <laughs> and she's like, why? Because I'm doing a ritual that's been accepted for hundreds of years. I'm just doing what is what is right and what is, you know, I'm protecting myself. If you continue to have affairs, I'm going to basically have to kill the women that you have affairs with. Everyone that you have an affair with, I will kill. Mm-hmm. Well, and then we hear sirens in the background. And this is when she says, Vincent, if they come in here, they're going to kill me. And our baby. Yeah, and if they kill me, they're going to kill the baby. Um, so she like literally, as, as as the lieutenant and Taj are knocking on the door, she goes to go answer it. He's like, no, don't you dare. You're, they'll kill you. He's, Vincent stops her. And then we cut back to outside where Taj and lieutenant are on the porch. And all of a sudden, we see the motorcycle come out from behind the house and take off. And they chase the motorcycle through the streets of Boston. It's quite a long chase. Yeah, it's a big scene. This is like a full-on like William Friedkin car chase type scene where it goes on and it's, it's, you know, there's, there's 
things are getting thrown in the air and cars. It, it's and through trains. downtown Boston. I mean, cars are having to stop and um, construction. Yeah, there's construction. Lieutenant gets on the radio. And it's like, can someone please fucking block him and for backup? And a police car eventually does pull out onto the street, and it causes uh, you know him to have to swerve. And and Lieutenant takes a gun and it's like shooting at him in the street. And the other cop car comes and blocks his path, and he runs right into this cop car, flips over the cop car, lands on the cement very hard, smashes onto the cement. Uh, they go over, Lieutenant Natasha go over and take the helmet off, and it is, it's Vincent. Vincent. Oh. Which, if, like I said, I, the, Vincent only does one good thing in this entire film, and that's that he takes one for the he team. Does, the he does, he uh, does. You know, at least he dies. Yeah. <laughs> At least no, it because I mean, at least he died. Because my problem with you know, I mean, it's one of those things where you know you can look at the film and think it's thinks you can think it's feminist in a, in a way with its motivation, but then on the flip side, it's kind of not because like this woman is killing other women for sleeping with her boyfriend who has not even told them that he has a girlfriend. Like none of them knew. You know, like Kathy does, says, she didn't even know that he was living with her. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, why are you putting the blame? Like, it's like punishing women for sleeping with with men in this sense, where mm-hmm. all of the blame should be placed on him. You know what I mean? And she, the the character of Eleanor, puts none of the blame on him, does nothing to him. Instead, she kills the people that really are like innocent in this whole thing. And it's like again that age old thing of like when you when you have a when you have a you know a friend or something that is has a and I've had this happen whether it's been you know in a gay relationship or a straight relationship where you have a friend that's like oh he cheated on me I'm going to go kick the girl's ass or I'm going to go kick the guy's ass well why would you kick the guy's ass that your boyfriend slept with or girlfriend slept right. with kick your boyfriend's ass yeah. you know what I mean they're the they're the one that so it's like I think I find that issue that struggle with this this ending I know it was eighty one. It kind of loses then for me, it kind of loses maybe the feminist angle that the film could have had. Right. I don't know how you feel about that. That's why I was happy that you're on the, the you're on this episode as a female. Like what is your perspective on the motivation and the ending and just like kind of what it's saying thematically about. I mean, I do agree with you that obviously if she's punishing the women, this is not a feminist movie necessarily. Um, I, I do, I do see the side of it. Obviously I see, I, I know, you know, what it's like to be a 20 something, you know, awestruck woman in love with someone who's in a position of power also, uh, and who probably gaslights her and probably has, you know, they've taken trips together, obviously they've gone out of the country together. Um, you know, she believes in his work, all that kind of stuff. So I mean, I can understand that 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 idea from it, but like, no, I don't know if I would necessarily call this a feminist horror film at all. Actually, it's not, you know. Yeah, well, I can see. I mean, I, I guess you could argue that if you know, but we're we're not given a lot of their interaction, their relationship. But I guess you could argue that it could be looked at as, oh, well, she's been, like you said, gaslighted, manipulated by him. So she's the victim, and 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 he has really made himself to be like. The, the the man who loves her, the man that's going to take care of her. So she is not looking at him as being like the villain. Instead, oh, it's these women that are trying to swoop in and take my man. I don't know. It's one of those things where you can look at it both ways. Like, has she been, has he gaslighted her and, and manipulated her so much that 
the old saying, love is blind. Yeah, I truly believe that that's it. I, I really believe that she feels like he's going to change. And I think she probably feels like because she's pregnant that he's going to change. And I think that the realization that he's not going to change can send someone even more over the edge, you know, with how they're going to punish that person. Um, but yeah, I mean, if she kills him, she can't be with him. Yeah, it's very realistic. I mean, it's this this stuff happens. How many times do you realize? How many times does the person being cheated on take out their aggression on the person that's their per, their that their partner is cheating with instead of their partner? You see it all the time, right? All the time. All the time. So it's not like this is unrealistic, but it's like one of those things yeah. where it's like, God damn, you had all of these signs, woman. Why are you why are you killing poor Carol, the waitress who has nothing? To, but. At the end of the day, he does die, and he dies for her. He's like he knows what's going to happen to him if he leaves that house in this costume. He knows what's going to happen. So I guess at the end of the day, he's a good guy because he sacrificed himself to save her. I don't know. I don't know if I would call him a good guy. I would tell him that this is the only good thing that he does in that entire film, which is that he he takes one for the team. That's it. He does. Well, it's yeah. death, so it's a pretty death. hard one yeah. to take for the it's team. It's hard. It's, he's dead. But he's dead. And we cut to his funeral. And Eleanor is there. Uh, she throws a necklace into his casket and basically walks away during the middle of the, ser- the, the proceedings. Lieutenant is there. And he stops her. And he asks her point blank, is the ceremony over? And she says, yes. And his response is, I hope so. Do you think he knows it was her? Absolutely. Okay. That's what he meant by that. Yeah. That's, that's totally what he meant. Like yeah. that was not a like, you know, oh, you know, it was no, he he absolutely knew it was her. And when he said that this is the ceremony over, he meant, you know, is the head hunting ceremony over? Are you done with what you have done? Is this complete, right? And then he, I hope so. Meaning, I hope I don't have to pursue you any further. Yes, that's what I gathered from it. So he lets her get away, you know. Uh, but he has no choice because what evidence is he going to have that she's the one that did it when he's, you know, when he did what he did at the end of the film? We get this little like tacked on ending of him at his office. He's he's not looking too sure about things. You can tell he's kind of like he knows, like this did not have the right result. Like, but it is what it is. It's going to have to be what it is. He's looking at his case file. He closes it knowing, you know, this didn't really get resolved the way it should have been, but it is resolved in the eyes of the law. It's resolved. This is where we're going to be. And he goes out to his car and he gets in the car and suddenly the helmeted black figure sits up from the backseat and grabs him and starts to like choke him. Uh, And as you think this is real, like he's fighting and everything. The person lets go and pulls off the helmet or lifts up the helmet, and it's Taj. Right. Wow. Who's like, what'd you expect, the headhunter? But a bump. Yeah, they both start laughing hysterically, and the film ends. It's right. I mean, freeze frame. <laughs> you know, for to end a film on that sort of level is quite ballsy, but I think it works. It does. It- it does work. Well, it works because they have a good rapport and they have a good they have good chemistry on in the movie. They they genuinely look like they're friends. They genuinely look like they're partners. And so it makes it much more, you know, interesting to see them play off of each other and then to have it end like that is like, ah, you know. It kinda of, yeah. I mean it could have I, I thought for a second it was gonna go like the evil laugh route. Uh, where, where oh. like, you know, you get that Barney character playing the prank at, on what's her name at the end of evil Connie at the end of evil laugh and she ends up killing him. 
I thought maybe that was where they were going to go. Like the lieutenant's like going to shoot him or something. But no, it's it just ends on this lighthearted note. Uh, and like I said, it's ballsy, but it works for the film. Um, because yeah, you do get a lot of glimpses of these two relationship and their camaraderie throughout the film. So it works. I like the ending. And overall, I like the film. Um, I guess if I had one thing I could say about, or two things I would say about the film in terms of like things I wish they would have improved on, it's definitely the the death scenes. I wish they would have actually spent time on the makeup effects because it does get kind of, uh, you, it kind of gets bored seeing the killer hit these people with this knife, but never see a cut, never see cut clothes, just see a lot of blood, right? Yeah, it's it's almost not really a horror film in a lot of ways. It's almost just like um like a suspense thriller, you know, like Tightrope or uh or or Blackout or one of the, you know what I mean, like that that time period of film where you know it was like you you saw sort of murders, but there was no aftermath so to speak like there wasn't really any there's no gore really i mean yeah no there's no gore. more more of like a yeah just like a like a mystery thriller priest police procedure it is it's a mystery thriller it is kind of i mean i wonder if that's the reason why it doesn't get mentioned a lot when we're talking about 80 slasher films good point you know that could be it um but yeah so that and then i really wish i kind of wish the killer reveal would have been just a little bit more like grand um, just to have her walk in and take off the, the costume and be like, Oh, I'm the killer was kind of like, Meh. you know, I, I really wish there would have been a bigger like confrontation or something. But other than that, the film, I, I never got bored. I think the pacing of this film is great. Like it never gives you an opportunity to get bored. Like when you see, when a scene is happening, like in the school or with the Lieutenant confronting somebody, it's not very long. And the, the death scenes in this film are the things that are drawn out. You know, each death scene in this film is a long, drawn-out thing. You know, it's not – they're not rushed. Like, you get that whole aquarium scene that's long and drawn-out. You get the chase through the restaurant that's long and drawn-out. Um, so I, I do I do like that. I mean, the pacing of this film is great. Uh, Rachel Ward is great. Uh, there's a lot to like here. The Jalous aspects are done extremely well. It's a fun film. It's one that definitely, I think, deserves more attention. And I'm glad we're covering it because hopefully people that have not seen it will 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 search for it and watch it. Yeah, I I mean I I love this movie. I originally saw this movie on our local creature feature, uh, hosted by Dr. Paul Bear uh, was his name, and it was a local Tampa Tampa celebrity who would show horror films. And it's the first time I ever saw Night School. It's the first time I saw Prom Night. You know, and I saw them, and they were all, you know hacked to pieces you know there's no blood or gore in any of these movies no nudity nothing you know so that was the first time i saw it and then i saw it later on as an adult i love the overall look of this film i love the cinematography i really love rachel ward's performance i think she's amazing i I think she's great in everything that she does truly uh huge against all odds fan by the way if anybody hasn't seen that and you call yourself an 80s fan that is definitely a movie to check out i mean if, you, if i guarantee you've heard the song but if you haven't heard the movie or if you haven't seen right. the movie but <laughs> there's an actual movie that it's based off of i swear um but she's you know she's amazing in this i i love the aquarium sequence it's one of my favorite things in a film period and i just uh no i just dig it i i really dig it i dig that it was written by a woman i think that's really interesting i 
I'd love to dig deeper into that and find out like what she went on to do or anything like that. But I didn't really find anything about her when I did do a deep dive. So yeah, speaking of Rachel Ward's performance, I, I will mention I didn't mention this when we got there, but during her kill reveal, I do I will say I do like the fact that they didn't make her go like way over the top. Oh, she doesn't chew scenery at all. Yeah, her explanation is very matter of fact. Like you mentioned, it's just very matter of fact. This is why I'm doing it. She's not like crazy. Like she doesn't nope. turn into like Miss Voorhees or, or uh, you know, Mrs. Loomis and Scream Two. It's very level, um, and I like that it works for the film quite a bit. But yeah, this is a great film. I'm really glad you picked it because yeah, I'm glad I got to discuss it with you. Yeah, I mean, guys, if you've seen this film, Night School, what do you think about it? Why do you think this film doesn't get the disgust or the love that it might deserve i I would really like to hear your opinion maybe it is because it's too much of a more of a mystery police procedural than a true slasher film even though it has all the elements of a slasher film the mass killer and everything i don't know i don't know i don't know why it's forgotten i have no clue um to me it's better than a lot of stuff that we hear talked about all the time (laughs) um it's a very great it's competently made technically beautiful film uh some great scenery memorable stuff so yeah, guys, so let us know. Uh, Aaron, we got to thank you so, so much for being here. Before we go, uh, let our listeners know like where they can follow your podcast, where they can listen, and all that fun stuff. Yes, absolutely. You can find Manic Movie Monday podcast on Spotify, iTunes, and Amazon Music, as well as where you will find podcasts. And you can find us also on Instagram as well as Facebook under Manic Movie Monday podcast. And we love hearing from our fans. We love hearing from anybody that's listening. So please, like, send us a message. And we've got a, a great episode coming up, which is a, a reunion show of the movie Out of the Dark, uh, which is a 1988 uh, killer clown stock and phone sex girls. Can't go wrong. Yeah, guys. If you like us, definitely check out their podcast. Same vibe. Um, and they they cover some really, really cool obscure movies uh, I, I didn't realize how many episodes you guys had until i was like eating it i'm like god you guys have a lot you covered lisa which we did on our patreon and we let we, yes! we yeah uh lovely i listened to that episode that was a blast so, yeah so guys check them out and that concludes pride month with some hardcore lesbian action some some lesbian you know dean seducing her students roger will be back next month finally i've had to carry this whole month it's been a lot to do and a lot but it's been a lot of fun i had some great guests I had to do a Patreon, two Patreon episodes by myself, which was nerve-wracking, which I want to say, guys, if you haven't checked out our Patreon, check it out because we have 60 episodes now, 60 full length. That's right. Put put down your Werther's original and give money to Dark Knight of the Podcast. We produce that content, content even when we're both not here. <laughs> so, guys, <laughs> next month, next episode, Roger will be back. So, But thank you, Aaron. You were great. Loved it. Uh, and thank all our guests this month. And with that, guys, good night. Let us know your thoughts on night school, and we will be back in full force next month. Good night.